Hello, you fabulous design professional. It's really good to be here. I'm Kimberly Seldon. I'm an interior design professional just like you, working it, working it, working it every day and having a darn good time, I must say. It's busy and I like that. And it's profitable and I like that. And I have some flexibility in my time because I have a good team around me. So I'm feeling good. And that's not me trying to be insensitive if you're not in that place, because believe you me, we've all been there. If you're having a tough time right now, for whatever reason, maybe a project went off the rails. Maybe a client you thought was awesome is a little bit challenging. Maybe business is slow for some bizarre reason, or maybe it's so busy you can't breathe and you're uncomfortable because you don't have the right team. Believe me, we've all been there. We've all done that. And you are in the right place. This is episode number 272. Two, and I'm welcoming back a great friend, Frank Ibsen of Build Lane. You guys know Build Lane. We use them for a lot of our custom furniture needs. And in fact, I'm going to be going down to their warehouse in a couple of weeks and just kind of see everything they have on offer. And we've got a couple more orders in with Build Lane now, which is very exciting. But I'm so thrilled they're doing well. You can just You cannot meet Frank and not see the true passion and excitement he has for the business. And I love that he works with design professionals. That's what I care about. My custom pieces are being made beautifully and everybody involved is on board to serve the interior design community. Frank began his career in tech. He's from Los Angeles. And Build Lane now, of course, has made him quite an expert on custom furniture. He says that he's been involved with more than 10,000 custom items at this point. And I remember meeting Frank in 2019 and hearing about his company. It was new, it was fledgling. We gave him our first order at that time. It was. It turned out beautiful. I was so happy to be able to work with him. And as you know, we allow so few companies to sponsor business of design in any way. They have to be 100% proactive on behalf of interior design professionals. That's the bottom line. I have to know if they're going to be on the show that they have your back. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to Frank. If you haven't tried Build Lane yet, I can tell you personally, it's wonderful They are improving their services and how friendly the app is all the time and making really great changes. So how wonderful to be involved with a company like this and how wonderful to be involved with you. I will turn things over for a moment to Cheryl Horn and then we'll get right into the episode. We're so glad you're here. Well, keep it short for this week. I feel like, you know, at Business of Design, we're just sort of playing catch up after the last few weeks of events, which have been amazing and getting out and seeing people face to face. Last week, we just had an information session for our next boss group. Uh, if you missed out on that and are still interested in joining our boss group or applying for it, uh, please reach out to me, Cheryl at businessofdesign.com, and I'll certainly fill you in on what you missed. Uh, we sort of did a deeper dive, not just in terms of the logistics about how a boss group works, but really what to expect 
when you get into these meetings, the experience of the meetings themselves and the progress you can expect to make in your business. And then this week, we've got our next BOD live meeting, and we're going to be talking about top line meetings. And those are the weekly meetings that Kimberly does with her design team that discusses the top line status of each client project. Rather than digging into the nitty gritty, and it really helps to keep everybody on track and accountable and moving projects forward. So if you're a Business of Design member, uh, please join us this Wednesday, May 11th at 1 p.m. EST. And uh, if you have requests for future BOD live topics, please reach out to me, Cheryl, at businessofdesign.com and let me know what it is you want to talk about. Uh, we'd love to get some member input on that. But that's it for this week. Take care. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. I have like a, a cheap mic. Do I need, I have my good mic? Well, I, I the only thing there's a kind of an echo, it's like acoustically, it's a little hot. So I don't know if one of those would tone that down. You need, Let me move that. You need Let draperies me move. and you need area carpets. I, I can tell you, you need a designer, Frank. <laughs> well, I have a five-year-old and our, our plan is once the five-year-old is no longer destroying all our furniture <laughs> that we're going to get some nice stuff and get somebody in here. It's so good. Don't do what my mom did. And she let, I was like 10 and she let me pick the carpeting for the whole house. And I picked a different color of shag for every room. It was like, I mean, to this day, my eyes bleed thinking about how ugly it was. And once it was installed, I'm like, oh my God, this is so, <laughs> oh wow. Don't let your 10 year old decorate, I guess is the moral of the story. <laughs> Amazing that, that that you ended up in design after. Right. Right, oh my god! I could tell there's the right way to do it, I guess, <laughs> and a wrong way. All right, I'm switching my audio. Oh, that sounds good. And okay, so I switched audio, so this should be a little bit better. Oh, that sounds like ooh, like uh, you know, like a uh, air traffic controller is what it sounds like. Uh, I'll just start, and you'll just we'll just take it away. Okay, yeah, I, I have some cool stuff for you too, like. We have, so here, the coolest thing is Jan January 2020, that's when you had your Vegas retreat, last time I saw you in person. Almost the, the last event <laughs> before we were all, who knew, right? We're in Vegas having a good time. Oh, I'll see you next month. No, you won't. Right. Well, the one thing that you had me do there is pre prepare a checklist. You're big on checklists of uh, standards for custom furniture. And so- Fast forward to now, and my product team has been working on the last year on creating what we're calling our new RFQ form, and it basically is that. So, and the retreat, that's the first time I'm going to be able to show it to anybody. Oh, 
I'm very excited. Yes, as a matter of fact, I do like checklists a lot because it keeps me organized. I'm happy about that. We're going to talk about on this episode, you're not actually a person who builds furniture, but what's interesting is you now have hired so many independent suppliers and manufacturers to build custom furniture and you're involved from the ground up in making those pieces happen. Do you feel like you have some expertise in this area? I guess you do. You must. Yeah, I have been, I would say I've been personally involved in the production of 10,000 pieces of custom furniture. So, wow. So, yeah, I mean, when, when people are interacting with us on our app, like a lot of times they're interacting with me because I know exactly how things are built and the best way to do things and what's needed. If they're looking for this type of look or this type of sit, like I know exactly what it is. I've sat on everything. Well, one of the things I like about the uh, website since I've um, since you did some modifications and improvements, I really like how easy it is to use one of the templates. That's nice. I know there's also a feature where um, you can allow the person who's building the item of furniture to dictate how it's built rather than tell them what you want. But for example, if I say, I definitely want dovetail, I can include a picture of that. But if the person making the piece says, that's not the right way to go, have you thought about this, uh, then there's there's that exchange that happens. So I do feel like I'm getting to work directly with, you know, somebody who understands how furniture is being built. Yeah. And it's not just one person, it's a lot of people. So when, when a designer submits a quote request on Buildland, they're submitting that to a dozen workshops that all have their own nuances and thing, how things are built. So the feedback comes from everybody and there's differing opinions. And we kind of usually give one opinion of like, Hey, this is what we think this should be based on the data that we've gotten back from the workshops. What do you think about that? So how do you, how do, when I'm, okay, so for example, the last quote request I submitted is a dining room table and a coffee table. I did two, two. How do you, how do I know, or how do, who, who decides who those requests are going to go to? Uh, the quoting department. And it's, it's based on, so when we onboard a new workshop, we kind of see what they're good at. They tell us what they're good at. We look at it and see what they're really good at um, and basically put them in different categories. So I, I think when a couple of years ago, we really had two categories, upholstery and case goods, and that was it. You're either in one, one, one camp or the other. And now it's a little more nuanced. It's like, do you specialize in banquettes or maybe beds or, or live edge sofas table and or, yeah. live edge. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so now it's more specialized into who's actually seen those things because we get so many requests at, at one point when everybody was in two buckets, you had factories getting 40 quote requests a day and that, it was like a full-time job, you know? So now it's a little more specialized and we don't, we try not to bombard the workshops with work that is not in their wheelhouse. Okay. Well, one thing I will say, COVID has made us all become much more comfortable with ordering things online, even big things like sofas and case goods and that kind of stuff. But there certainly are things that we should all be aware of as we're placing these orders. And even as we are sending through a quote request, right, we, there's, we can be smart about how we set that up so we make sure we get the item that we're looking for. So let's start with upholstered furniture because I know you guys must do thousands of pieces, you know, thousands of pieces a year. What are some of the things we have to be very careful of when we're ordering upholstered furniture? 
It's a good question. Um, so I would say, in general, when requests come to us, they're very vague. I'd say the majority of designers aren't entirely sure what exactly. Like, they see something. They know the overall dimensions. They know their client's tall. They want this specific dimension. They know that the room is this size, and they want to have an end table here and an end table there, so the sofa needs to be this length. Uh, I think a, a lot of where it breaks down is what's inside that sofa, and that's they may have taken their client to a design showroom and sat on a bunch of different things, and each showroom's telling them different marketing language, like, oh, this is our magic magic super cushion like nobody has this uh the so cloud I, but I think that, right the cloud sofa well the clouds how many cloud so sofas big. have you made oh my god that's yeah, I, yeah. I think it's i think it's tapering off i think it's not oh my god popular. yeah because you can't i mean i just i'm begging people not to buy them but you can't like once they make up their mind they want the cloud it's like okay right i mean the way that it sits it's like a magic trick when you're in a showroom and you sit in a cloud sofa. It just sits differently than other sofas. But a year down the road, like it's, it doesn't stay like that forever. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, to answer your question, we kind of know a lot of what goes into making all different types of sofas. And we just cut, we try to fill in those gaps when designers come in with more of a vague idea of what they're looking for. What would be helpful, like I know, for example, inside a sofa, we do a foam core and a down wrap. And I think it's the, the formula is something like 80-20. So is that the kind of information I need to give you? Yeah, if you know that, that'd be great. And, and the new RFQ, I'll, I'll keep saying this during this interview, but we're, we're launching this thing, the new RFQ. It, we're showing it to your designers at your retreat next week for the first time ever. But that has kind of a guide built in as well. So when you're going there and it's asking you, okay, what are you doing for the back cushions? It's going to give you a bunch of different examples of what goes into back cushions and what would, why you use different things. And well, the beautiful thing is once you kind of determine what is comfortable to you, it's likely that's what's comfortable to your clients. So you don't have to go through this every time. You kind of, I know what's inside my sofas now. It's kind of always the same thing. Unless I have someone who's super tall or a client who says, you know, I never, I don't like a soft, I never like anything soft. It has to be super firm. Then I might change it up. 100%. I would say the designers that have been working with us for years they have their standard and they've tried different things. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but now you're right. Like there's, when they're selling a sofa to their client, it's their sofa with their, it's the 80, 20, like you said, it's got uh, medium foam HR core and that's what it is. And, but I have designers that come down to our, our, we have like a new workshop area down in LA. It's in one of our factories and we have every cushion you can imagine there. So we have designers that come in and they can sit on everything. They can sit on every suspension type. They can sit on every sofa cushion type. And I, I think every designer that comes in there changes their mind about what they thought they liked the best. Really? Interesting. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the like eight-way hand tied is one. I mean, eight-way hand tied is great, but like a cushion especially 
the more expensive cushions seem to have this prestige with designers like, oh, I, I really like 50% feathers, 50% down. Like that's my standard, which is the most expensive thing you get aside from like 100% down. But a lot of times you sit on that and it's, it's really heavy. It's firm. Like it's not, it's not exactly the best design for a seat cushion to do that much down in there. Well, and it also leaves a perfect impression of your ass when you get up, which is <laughs> right. Which is like, I don't want to walk into a room and look at that. <laughs> right. 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 Like if you want no, to spend the money you. on a sofa, like the craftsmanship is what you should be spending money on. Not just like upgrades on the materials. Right. Right. Okay. And speaking of materials, I know sometimes I, I mean, I'm stuck on, I love walnut. I do a ton of walnut, but honestly, if you're doing a little sofa leg, that's three inches high, you're barely going to see it. It just doesn't make sense to request a walnut leg. So what are some other things we need to think about when we're, when we're considering wood species? For legs, you're right. And wal- if walnut is what you want, you can do that. You can do that in a lot of different woods that look similar to walnut. If it's just a three-inch leg, like alder or something like that, uh, wood wood right now is the most. It's like practically double what it was a year ago. So, one thing that's really scary with sourcing custom right now is exposed wood. So anything that has a ton of exposed wood means that the lumber is going to cost a ton and finishing costs a ton because paint is now more expensive. Finishes are so expensive. Uh, so that's a consideration. Metal's gotten really expensive. And hard to get, right? Like our, we're doing some mill work and we've got some metal details and our, my, my cabinet maker is saying, I'm, I can get you anything in painted wood, but if you want the metal, it's going to be another three months because we just can't get our hands on it. Interesting. We've we've been doing okay with metal. Can I have some? I need to give <laughs> some to my guy. <laughs> I, I don't control the metal supply personally. <laughs> Wait, what? I thought for sure you did. But metal's yeah. so gorgeous. It's such a nice way to um I mean zhuzh it up a little, right? Mix mixing the wood and the metal. But but so tell me like when we're ordering think something like that, or do we even know what language to do we even know what to ask for? I'll tell you this with metal, the way to make metal a part of the build inexpensively is to stick with tubing. So whether it's square tubing or round tubing, like Think of legs on a console or things like that. That tends to be the least expensive metal that you can add to a project or also sheet metal. If you just want to have like the base be a three inch base that's metal, you can do it just like the face of it that's put on the wood. It's really when you start to get into something that maybe has to have a mold built for it or really complicated shapes and edges that that's really when metal starts to get really expensive. Okay. I'm a big fan of the sheet sheet metal, but not the tube. I don't like those tube <laughs> legs. I don't know. I don't just, I don't know why. I don't, it doesn't matter. I just get to decide I don't like it, right? It's fine. Exactly. You get, you do you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or anything really that seems like it is an easy shape. I mean, anything with like right edge corners, like think of a mirror with like a, you could do a three-inch edge mirror that's not going to be too expensive. But if that mirror like, has a lip on it that's like three inches extended out of the, the wall, then that's where the price gets crazy. Right. But the, the reality is 
we probably shouldn't shy away from doing those exceptional pieces for clients. We just have to then be able to sell them the piece. Agreed. Yes. I mean, yeah, it's, it sucks when I have to talk to a designer and they're like, how can we get the cost down on this? It's like, oh, well, maybe if you did less exposed wood, but the exposed wood is really what sets the piece off. Like that's why it's magic is that the arms on the sofa are exposed wood and it wraps around the back. Like, that's what's unique about the piece. So yeah, you're right. Go for it on that cheap out on something else. Well, it's so interesting because that is our experience too. We, we know a lot of designers who will try and negotiate with the tradesperson, the manufacturer, the supplier, the tradesperson, but they're not willing to go and fight for the piece with the client, right? Put your energy, stop trying to negotiate with the supplier and put the energy into telling the client why it's worth it. Agreed. And right now, it's hard to do that. It's really hard. Like we, as part of our system, when we're working with the workshops, we're trying to get the best price for the designer. So we do a lot of negotiating. And ever since the pandemic, it's been really hard to do that because every week they're getting new letters from their suppliers with price increases. So when they're having to put a price on something for a certain time period, there's a lot of uneasiness there. So compared to pre-pandemic, there's very little negotiating that's happening these days. And I guess that means we, we also need to, uh, with every single proposal we give to clients, say price is subject to change. Because if there's any kind of a delay, a week, two weeks, three weeks delay before you place the order, it's very likely that the materials have gone up. Right. We switched last year to from, I think, 120 days to 30 days. Mm. And now we're being kind of lenient. Things are a little bit better. And I think we're at 60 days. We'll let you slide. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough when you, when you have a client, you know, that drags their feet for six months and finally they're ready to put that deposit down and everything went up 30%. Yeah. Yeah. That we're, we're experiencing that on a commercial job, but the thing about a commercial project is like, well, basically everything is 30% more than when we specified it. And they're like, okay, whatever. Commercial jobs tend to go like that. But a client who's doing her, you know, living room or kitchen, that's a, that's a lot of money for them. So it's our job to educate the clients. The faster you make this decision, the more likely this price is to remain the same and just cover yourself. Every single thing you quote, say price subject to change at supplier's discretion. Right. And it's, it seems harder to sell that idea to the end client, your end client there, when they can look at like the real estate market and it's like, you see what's happening there. Like that's the whole world right now. Yeah. Well, they, my clients are really reasonable. They totally get it. I, I have never gone back to clients so many times and said, I'm really sorry. There's an upcharge. There's an upcharge. There's an upcharge. There's a price increase. I've never had to go back this many times. And, but, but luckily, the media, the whole world is supporting the notion that, yeah, prices are rising and that's the way it is. Well, you're also the, most, the best person at setting expectations, right? <laughs> it's going to be super expensive and I have no idea when you're going to get it. <laughs> I will call you later. <laughs> yeah, I guess that comes from from you know being in the game long enough. I know it's I I know that that's hard to do when you're first starting out. The bottom line is though, custom furniture is not off the rack furniture, so you do have an advantage of you know that opportunity to convince your client that they're going to receive something that's one of a kind and just theirs and special in some way. Yeah, agree. And I think that there's a lot more consciousness 
post pandemic with where things are coming from because everything was stuck in the harbor or whatever uh, and lead times went crazy i think a lot of people realized like oh all this stuff was coming from overseas probably not the best working conditions do i really want to be a part of that system or i could have my designer do a lot of custom work which i know is being done in a workshop in the u.s with workers that go home happy you know what? It's so funny. I literally had that conversation with a client today. They, they, the commercial client I was talking about, she, anyway, I don't even know how to shorten the story, but bottom line is she said, are those dining room tables more than the first ones you specified? And the answer is they're a little bit more, like 20% more, but they're custom made and they're made right here. And you're putting gas in someone's car and putting their kid through school. So feel good about that. And she goes, yeah, you're right. Okay, fine. It's a, it's not a, it's not an invalid point, right? We, we do want to make sure we're taking care of our neighbors. Definitely. That's definitely what we're about. And building, you guys are doing, you're doing well and business is obviously booming and you must be like just so thrilled. It's a lot of fun. We're, I mean, one thing that's really cool, the last time we talked to you a couple of years ago, now it seems like, I can't name names, but it seems like we're working with everybody. So we get to work on some really, really cool projects all the time. And I think two years ago, not that many people knew who we were. And now it's just all the big firms, they're all working with us. And it's just a lot of fun to do that kind of stuff. Isn't that amazing? Good for you. So, you know, we like to end every episode with design intervention. What comes to mind? Do more custom. <laughs> you don't have to do it with us, but the, the world needs more beauty, more amazing things happening, especially here in the U.S. So be a part of that system. Support local workshops. Do more custom. Make your, make your clients happier with unique stuff that their neighbors don't have. I think that totally works. And I would add to that, like buy, buy local artwork, you know, support local artists, anything you can do to keep your community thriving is a good thing. And where is your, um, where's your big new warehouse in LA? What city? It is, it's in Los Angeles. It's right south of the 10 freeway. It's right next to the Soho Warehouse. Okay, if anybody cool. knows where that is. Yeah. All right. Well, I want an appointment to come in and sit on, you know, everything. <laughs> yeah, it's. Please come down. Anybody that hears this, uh, my email is frank at buildlane.com. Email me, and we weekly have designers come in, and we take them to a few shops and get, get the whole experience of, like, what it is to be in that industry so good all right and i will see you in i'll see you in santa monica see you in a week Woohoo! thank you for being part of the business of design community and supporting bod's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time it's time for you to take the next step and join business of design like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world You'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today. 